Hi, this is Wilson, pastor of Renew Church OC, a church for imperfect people only. Thanks for joining our podcast. Over the pandemic, a lot of our lives have been reoriented. Whether it's our work, school, friendships, or church, we've become comfortable with a new normal because of COVID. Many of us are asking what church is and how important is it really? Can I be a strong Christian without the church? Or can I go to church in PJs and off a screen for the rest of my life? I hope this series helps you move away from cultural norms and beliefs about church and brings us back into God's word and heart for the local church. Enjoy the sermon. All right, I hope you had um, time to talk to the people around you. I'll open our sermon this morning with a little bit of a short prayer, and then we'll get started. God, thank you so much for gathering us this morning. As we listen to your word, I pray that you would speak to each of us um, and have us see you and ourselves more clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Wilson. I get to pastor here at this church. Uh, I fell fifth grade. It was really difficult. I'm still not sure if I can read. Many of you are not sure if I could read or spell. Uh, phonics has always been a terrible thing for me. Thank God for spell check. I got diagnosed with ADHD when I went to seminary. And then I struggled with sexual addiction and have struggled with it for a long time. I have blockers on, on everything. I remember being in the middle of a sermon and my blocker came up as I'm like preaching. I'm like, oh yeah, that's my, my porn blocker. Who introduces themselves like that, right? No one, no one walks up to you and be like, here are my weaknesses. We always share about our strengths. We share about the areas of our life that we have accolade, where we're validated, where we have power in certain circles. Whether that's a hobby, sport, whether that's your business or your education, we lead into our relationships. We lead into our businesses in strength. We've always done that. We've been taught to do it. And in the age of social media, we do it with every story, with every post, with every TikTok. I, my wife, she follows some celebrities, and she's, like, envious of their relationship sometimes. I'm like, that's, that's, like, that's fake, though. Is he going to film her on the floor crying when they have an argument? Is he going to film himself on, on a Facebook Live full-on yelling at his kids? Everything we present to our to each other is in strength. But when we look at 1 Corinthians, and we're in 1 Corinthians this week, chapter 126, Paul is actually reminding the church, their community, about their weaknesses. See, the Corinth um, city was a meritocracy, meaning that you can accumulate wealth, you can get educated, and you can become powerful become an intellect, become a businessman. You had opportunities to grow and to have strength and intellect. And, and in this church, in this community, they started out weak, but they've become wealthy. And Paul says, remember when you were weak. Remember when you were called. You know, usually when we think about our weaknesses, and 2020 has excavated so many of them, if we were addicted to something, it got worse. If we weren't addicted to something, many of us found something to be addicted to. We've wrestled with mental illness, with anxiety. We felt isolated and alone. 
and now as we're kind of emerging, those are things we're trying to leave behind and suppress and hide. And then Paul reminds us to remember those things, to recall it, the traumas from our past, the areas in our life that feels weak. In verse 26, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to point you to verse 26 on the next slide. And if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to take it out and to be able to just take notes on, in the Word. That's the greatest gift I can give you this morning, for you to look at your Bible throughout the years, look at 1 Corinthians, and, and have it be explained. So in verse 26, it says, think of when you were called. Paul is reminding the Corinth church at the point of salvation, at the point in which they were invited into the kingdom. And he describes them in ways that none of us wants to be described. Weak, foolish, despised, lowly. But isn't that how everyone walks into the kingdom? Isn't the kingdom made for the sinners and prostitutes, and when we think about the religious, the Pharisees in Jesus' ministry, aren't they the ones who, run, who walk away? The rich young ruler who we all aspire to be, wealthy, young and beautiful, um, powerful as a ruler, he doesn't enter into God's kingdom. When Jesus invites him to sell all he has and give it to the poor, he walks away from Christ. And then Jesus makes him an architect, an archetype of the wealthy. And he says it's harder for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the heaven, into my kingdom. But how do people enter in? Their for, first step towards God is in weakness. It's saying, I'm a sinner. And I don't know how to resolve this sin. The prostitute laying at Jesus' feet, weeping for the things she has done, wiping his feet with her hair, she gets into God's kingdom. The woman who's bleeding, considered unclean, reaches out and touches Jesus, and he pulls her into his kingdom. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, on a tree, because no one would let him see Jesus, he goes into this man's house and the other person getting executed, the thief on the cross, says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's always called the weak. And when we step into God's kingdom, it's not in strength or confidence or wealth or intellect. How we step into God's kingdom is taking a step in our weakness. That's how you were called. You know, I, even over COVID, I've been able to interact with people on the volleyball court or at the church who said, I'm going to church for the first time 
because I feel weak. I was playing volleyball with a friend, and, and he told me how he started listening, uh, reading the NKG Bible, and K, New King James, N, K, King James, N, K, J, I don't know. He read this old school Bible, and, um, and uh, I was like, why did you decide to pick that up? He said, over COVID, I started wrestling with alcoholism. I went to AA, and they told me to find a higher power, so I picked up this Bible, and I don't understand it. I'm like, well, you're talking to a pastor, so I can help you, you know? Send him podcasts, send him better versions of the Bible or more contemporary. Uh, looked for a local church for him. But how did he start his journey in the Christian faith? And then I've had emails from people in our community checking out Renew because of weakness. And I wonder if that's your story today. I wonder if there's a place in your journey at the very beginning where you can remember being weak, not knowing where you would go when you die, feeling totally purposeless, wrestling with depression or knowing the sin was haunting your life. And in your weakness, you said, I need someone to forgive me. I need an anchor for my soul. I need purpose for my life. Paul is telling this group of people that became wealthy and educated to remember, to hold hands with when they were at their lowest. Because that's when God calls them. God also chooses to use us in our weakness. In verse 27 says, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And in the Greek, the wise and foolish are counterparts to each other, right? They're opposites. And he's saying that the opposite of wisdom is foolishness, the world's wisdom. And I'm going to choose that to shame the wise. I'm going to choose the weak to shame the strong. I'm going to choose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. We think about how he does this with David. The weakest kid walking into an army to serve food to his brothers. He's probably a teenager, really scrawny arms, looking at this giant, 10 feet tall, hundreds of pounds of armor on him. Just as strong as they come. I've been watching a lot of MMA. Man, there's some big guys, right? And Goliath would, make, would dwarf them. But in David's weakness, in him knowing that he couldn't defeat Goliath, he chose to ask God for strength. And that's why God chooses the weak things. It's because it's in our weakness that we turn to God. Most of us don't ask God for help when we're feeling strong. Most of us don't turn to God in our strengths, but it's in our weakness that we ask him for help. And that's when he uses us. That's when our weakness becomes God's strength. And when you look at David, when he approaches Goliath, he doesn't say, hey, I'm really good at throwing rocks. You know, he doesn't come to him in confidence, in his confidence. He doesn't come to him with his skill set. Watch me sling rocks really well. No, he says uh, in the next verse, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. 
and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's, that's a cool taunt right there, a little trash talk, and he does, actually. But who is he leaning on? What strength is he drawing on, and why? It's because of David's weakness. He goes to God for strength, and he does something beyond what he could imagine doing, what anyone could imagine him doing. God chooses to use us in our weakness. You know, when I was applying for RFKC, the foster camp, um, they asked like a series of questions. But one of the questions she asked was, tell me about a moment of pain in your childhood. Tell me about some of your trauma. And I told her, yeah, like when I went to elementary school, I spent first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, walking into lunch with no one to sit with. There wasn't a table for me. There wasn't a few friends for me. I sat alone. I didn't know who to talk to. When other kids were playing in the yard, I wanted to play ten, uh, volleyball or handball or tag, but I didn't know how to approach the other kids. And when I did, they would turn me away. I remember one day I had this mechanical pencil, which was like, like high tech in first and second grade, right? You didn't have to go to the pencil sharpener and turn that thing. You just click a button and, and a little lead would pop right out. And I remember having this. And then my, like, the people in my class wanted it too. So one of the kids was like, uh, can I have your pencil? And I, and I said, and it was like probably the most valuable position I've ever owned as like a first and second grader or second grader. And I said, I'll give you this pencil if you play with me during recess. And he was like, okay. So I gave him the pencil. I went back to old school lead. Um, and then at recess, I went to find him. And I said, hey, can I, can I play with you? I gave you my most prized possession, you know. And he said, no. <laughs> and, then, and I remember just sharing this with, um, with Amy, who, who spoke last week. She said, when you walk into that camp with these foster kids, it's... It's that kid, Wilson, who got rejected over and over again that will do ministry to these kids. Because they get that. They get rejection. They don't get you having a master's. They don't get your wealth. They don't get you being popular. You'll do ministry to them when you connect with them in your weakness. God calls you in weakness. And as you offer it to him, he will use your weakness as well. If you've wrestled with um, mental illness, he's going to use that. If you lost someone and spent years grieving over them and you don't think it will ever end God will enlarge your heart so that you can sit with someone else who's gone through loss if your weakness is like me you're in ministry and you're not you're not just walking out doing nine to five you're reliant on the generosity of others God's gonna show others what it's like for him to provide if you grew up poor and you're asking for God for rent, he'll use you in your poverty 
to provide for you and have you provide for others. God uses us in our weakness. He always has. He uses David to fight Goliath. He uses Gideon, the lowest of the tribes, lowest of the tribes within the tribes of his family, hiding, you know, in a cellar. And he says, you're going to lead my army. And he's like, okay. So he gathers everyone he can. And he's like, we're going to cut this down to 300 people. You're going to stand in front of thousands and beat them by blowing trumpets. Right? God uses us in our weakness because he gets glory from it. When we, when Jesus uses our weakness, in verse 29, no one may boast before him. And in 31, let the, the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He calls us in weakness, he uses our weakness, and he's glorified in our weakness because we know it's not us. Because Gideon, everyone knows that Gideon isn't a giant slayer. Everyone knows walking around a, a wall fortified by another wall and yelling doesn't make you win wars. Everyone knows that a staff doesn't part the Red Sea. And in those moments that God writes into history, he gets to glory. There's no confusion. And there's moments in your life that he's writing where he's using your weakness so that he gets the glory. Here's some tips on being weak, <laughs> which I never thought I'd write that. Keep one hand on your weakness. I want to walk through life with one arm around Kid Wilson, who felt stupid and rejected and was insecure, so that my other arm would reach out to the Lord. That's why Paul's reminding the Corinth church of their history. They're not there anymore. But he says, keep your arm around that. Because if you have an arm around those weaker parts of your life, in your past, or right now, you'll have your other arm clinging to the Lord. But if you forget your weakness, if you forget your poverty, if you forget your lowliness, you will forget God as well. We don't want to deny our strengths. We have them. But how do you see God in all of your strength? How in your strength are you pointing to the Lord? How in your strength do you know that it's a gift of God and that it's fragile? All of our strengths are fragile. A car crash can take it away. A phone call from a doctor. Your kids going through something traumatic. Your strength will feel like weakness in two seconds. Do you really want to build your life on your own strength? And also, our, our natural strength has its natural limits. But when we lean on God, when we're empowered by the Spirit, our weakness becomes better than our strongest strengths. In your strength, do you see its limits? Do you see that if you're in law enforcement, you can stop a crime, but you can't turn the trajectory of their heart to actually pursue goodness? Do you see as a doctor that you can help someone become healthy again, but they'll never live forever? As a speaker, I can 
or worship team, I've been telling our worship team, if you're leaning on your strength, you will make really good music. And that will be it. We'll all enjoy good music. But if you surrender your strength to the Lord, and you say, God, let every word be a prayer of faith that is efficacious. And let me teach the congregation to pray every word in these songs. Then the Spirit of God will move and the words we sing will become real because of the Spirit. Not because our greatest strength of hitting that chord or song. And you have strengths as well. But I hope that you would surrender it to the Lord. One of my favorite, uh, I mean, Dave's an excellent preacher. I look up to him as a speaker. I'm always learning from him. And I remember one of the sermons he preached was on uh, Moses and how he surrenders the rod, his rod. At first, it's his rod, and then he lays it on the ground. And when he picks it back up, the Bible describes it as the rod of the Lord. When we lay down our strengths, we pick it back up again. And it becomes God's. What's the best thing he could do with that rod in his own strength? Beat up a few wolves? That's pretty cool. But when it's God's rod, he parts the Red Sea. Do you want to, do you see the limits of your strengths? How do we surrender it to the Lord? Now, the whole time Paul is speaking to the Corinth church, and what he's trying to do is help them understand that God's kingdom is upside down from the world. And we want to embrace the upside downness. I hope that in the Corinth church, Paul had a hard time separating the Corinthian Christian from everyone else because they wanted what everyone else wanted, right? They wanted power. They wanted knowledge. They wanted success. It's like, what's the difference between the Corinth member and someone outside the church? But doesn't North OC feel like that as well? That we, everything we want in our lives as Christians can be mirrored in the outside world. And that's why Paul says, it's your weakness, it's your foolishness, it's your dependence on the Lord that is different from the world. And then he lays out the gospel in verse 8 to 25. And he says our whole framework of God's kingdom, our hero, our king, is in this upside-down kingdom. He talks about how, like, all the Jews, when they thought how the world would be better, what they sought after was power. They were in captivity. The Romans ruled them, right? And when you're weak and you're powerless, all you want is power. So they thought the world would be better, and their hope was placed on a Messiah who would come as a military general who would take power from the Romans, who would be a benevolent dictator not only to Israel but the rest of the world. So every time Jesus did a miracle, they're like, that could be useful in war. We don't need a supply chain. He'll just multiply bread. You know, he can control the elements. His disciples are like, rain fire down from heaven because that would help us in a war. They wanted power. The Greeks, they wanted wisdom. They wanted the next Plato. They wanted the next Plato's Republic. You know, Marxism might have appealed to them. Or being a hardcore Democrat or Republican. They believed that if you had the perfect philosophy and everyone ascribed to it, that's how utopia would happen. And so these people would think together, would, would have these high-minded discussions on philosophy and human nature 
if you read Plato's Republic, he's talking about the core desires of people, and he separates it into three. And he says, if we can just get them to work in the categories that they desire, we could have a utopia. And so they worshipped, they sought the wisest people um, in their day. And then there's the Christians. And then there's the gospel. And then there's the message of the cross. In verse 8, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intellect, the intelligence of the intellect, I will frustrate. And then Paul challenged Challenges the Greek to bring their best and brightest. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God ha- was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demanded a so- signs, signs of power. And Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. How does the gospel come? How does Jesus come? Jews wanted a savior who would grab at power. And in Philippians 2, we see a savior who continues to relinquish power. To continue to become weaker. An all-powerful, omniscient God. Let's go of his divinity to become man, to take on our nature, but not a man who rules and reigns, but a servant. He then serves and washes feet, and every act of miracle he does, he does it to serve someone else, and then he dies on the cross. It is God in his weakest moment. It is God in his weakest where salvation comes. It's not Jesus rallying a legion of angels sitting on his throne that saves us. It's Jesus naked and beaten and nailed. Jesus saves us through his weakness. He is the king of this kingdom. And that's where the greatest power is expressed by God. It's in this weakest moment that, he, that his power of forgiveness and redemption and the spirit living inside of us happens. And Paul's just saying, you wouldn't have guessed that, huh, Greeks? Because you thought it would be so- something wise. Dying is foolish. You wouldn't have guessed that, right, Jews? You thought it would be a military leader, but we have a king who is slain on the cross for us. 
And I wonder if we are that type of people. It's Father's Day, and um, when I think about my dad, we have so many great memories. And I, he used to call himself Machine Wang because he could work, and he did, for 20 hours a day. I've seen him commute from our house to Torrance two hours each way every day. Um, he is the strongest man I know. But, and then we had these great moments of shooting pool, of uh, him giving me wisdom, of him, um, like, serving my family. But the defining moments with my father is actually in weakness. It's in weakness of him making a mistake, him yelling at me, or him being in a yelling match with me. I remember sitting against the door crying, telling the world that I don't like my dad anymore. And then two minutes later, I hear a gentle knock. He opens up the door and he says, hey, Wilson, I'm sorry for losing my anger. It was both of our faults, but he came to me first. And in that moment of weakness, I, I was ministered to. I remember another time, I'm going off to college, I'm, I'm a senior in high school, and I felt like my dad wanted to cram every life lesson into like the two months before I left for college. I don't know if your parents did that. As a parent, I'm going to do that. And uh, I felt like for two months, he was just lecturing me. I felt really criticized. I felt like I wasn't good enough. And one day, in the middle of his lecture, I said, Dad, stop it. I'm just done listening to you. I'm, and and uh, like, I just like blew up at him. And then he was like, okay, I'm never going to you know, give you another life lesson again, right? That was his retort. And we were like fuming. And then I remember just like sitting there, and, and I... I went from anger to this brokenness. And I said, Dad, I just want you to tell me you love me. I just want you to tell me that you're proud of me. And then he looks at me and he says, Wilson, all I have in this world is you and your mom and your sister. Of course I love you. And then both of us had like this allergic reaction in our eyes, you know. And then we hugged. And then from that day forward, he made this really conscious effort every time I left the house to say, Wilson, I love you. And he gave me a hug. And he does that to this day. God, I think it's, for my dad and me, it's kind of our weakest, most broken moments that I see um, that have bonded us. I hope that you would know that you walk into the kingdom, not in strength, not in accomplishment, not in a flashy resume, but you step in. All of us step into God's kingdom in weakness. In our worst moments, that's when we step in and say, we need you, God. But the most beautiful part is that the kingdom of God steps towards us in weakness as well. Jesus steps towards us with his hands open, with nails in his wrists, giving his life for us. Father, we come to you this morning and, I, and we ask um, that you see us in our weakness, 
and that we could see those moments too. And that in our weakness, you would call us into your family, that you would use us, that you would be glorified, but also that you would sit with us when we're grieving, when we're alone, when we feel depressed, that you would sit with us, Jesus, and you would say, I understand, because I've been weak too. And I will minister to you with my wounds. By his wounds we are healed. In Jesus' name, amen.